Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. You should consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence and base all financial decisions on your specific situation. The show is furnished by Edelman Financial Services, a registered investment advisor. Rick Edelman is also a registered representative and principal of Sanders Morris Harris, an affiliated broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. This is an encore presentation of The Rick Edelman Show. This is The Rick Edelman Show. Now... Here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. Happy weekend to you. Hope you're having a great time. I am, too, off this weekend, so we're bringing you some of our favorite phone calls. You're going to really enjoy this, learn a lot, and I'll be with you again next week right here on the program. In the meantime, if you need help and you've got questions, dial us up at 888-PLAN-RICK. My colleagues at Edelman Financial, happy to return your calls, get back to you, get the information you need in any area of personal finances. 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Stephen is in Philadelphia. How are you, Steve? Listen, I know you're a fan of uh, buying low and selling high, like <laughs> people don't do. Uh-huh. Selling when an equity is, has moved up a certain percent. Mm-hmm. And then buying instead something that has underperformed, in other words, selling high, buying low. Right. Right? So then you would have sold out of Apple, for example, way back. Right. And you would have bought into BlackBerry. You'd have lost on both ends there. And there's a very serious flaw in your analogy. Your concept is sound, but your example is not. And it's really important that people understand this. What Steve is talking about is rebalancing. This is the most important element of the investment management strategy that my firms use. There are three elements in our money management approach at Edelman Financial Services. The first is extensive diversification. We invest our clients' assets in EMAP, the Edelman Managed Asset Program, on a highly diversified basis. Our clients typically have... 18, 19 asset classes and market sectors, uh, small cap stocks, mid cap and large cap, growth and value, U.S. and foreign, emerging market. Uh, in the world of bonds, there's short-term, intermediate, long-term. There's high quality and high yield. There is government and corporate, again, U.S. and foreign. Uh, there's real estate diversified by geography as well as type of property. Uh, there is uh, an array of commodities, including natural resources, oil and gas, gold and precious metals, commodities, and uh, so on. And, of course, cash is an asset class, so that counts as well. So the first is extensive global diversification. The second is a very long-term investment horizon. I don't care what's going on today, this week, this month, this year. Our clients are saving for their kids' college in 10 years, their own retirement in 20 or they're already retired and they're focusing on their life expectancy of another 30 years. Even a 75-year-old has to have a very long-term investment horizon. Perhaps you could argue even more so than the 30-year-old, because the 70-year-old doesn't have another opportunity to rebuild a fortune if they lose it all. So long-term focus is very, very important. And third, 
as I said, most importantly, is rebalancing, and here's why. Stephen, your example was absolutely correct. You're, you're understanding that let's say we have two assets, and we invest equally 50-50. One of them goes up, the other one doesn't go up as fast, and suddenly you realize your portfolio is no longer split evenly 50-50. It's now 60-40. And because it's 60-40, it no longer has the diversification model you originally created. You wanted 50-50, it's now 60-40. What do you do to fix it? You sell some of the 60, and you buy some of the 40. As you describe, you sell some of the winner, and you buy some of the loser. Well, if you're selling the winner, you're making profits. And if you're buying the loser, you're buying low positioning yourself for future profits. That is the purpose of rebalancing. And the primary reason for it is because we want to reduce risk. We are not doing it because we're trying to improve profit, although that does come along the way as a happy uh, happenstance. The real reason is I'm trying to reduce risk. Why? Because if I take the one that's 60 and I say to myself, golly, look how great that is. I think it's going to keep going. It'll become 70-30, 80-20, 90-10. And all of a sudden, I don't have a diversified portfolio at all. Now I've got a highly concentrated portfolio. All my money's in one place. And if I had allowed that to exist, walking into 2007, you know what happened next. So we need to maintain the diversification, not because I don't believe the one that went to 60 is going to keep growing. It's not because I don't think it'll keep doing well. It's because I'm afraid it might. And eventually, it might collapse. So we're trying to reduce risk through our rebalancing process. And along the way, we, oh, by the way, capture a profit, which is a nice, like I said, additional benefit. So rebalancing a diversified portfolio is a very effective long-term strategy. But your example, which you use to try to demonstrate it is a flawed one, and here's why. Instead of talking about an exchange-traded fund, which has inside it hundreds, even thousands of stocks, you talked specifically about Apple and BlackBerry. Now, all of a sudden, you're not dealing with the systemic risks of the market. You're now talking about the asystematic risks of an individual security. What you talked about with the fact that, hey, Apple kept on rising, but you kept on selling it, doesn't apply, nor does, oh, well, you were buying into BlackBerry as it continued to go down. You know why? Wall Street calls that, when you're buying a stock that is down in value and continues to fall, we call that dollaring down, otherwise known as catching a falling knife. That's a dangerous way to invest. And we would never recommend that. The only way to protect yourself from engaging in it is by not doing it with individual stocks, but doing it with a highly diversified stock portfolio. Do it with one large cap stock fund and a small cap stock fund. This way, you don't have to worry what happens to any one of the individual stocks inside those portfolios. Does that make sense, Steve? Uh, that just, of course, the market tends to move together, large and small. No, that's not true at all. That's not true at all. When you say they move together, they they might be birds of a feather, but there can be varying differences. Look at 2000, 2001. Look what happened to the NASDAQ compared to the Dow or the S&P 500. Look at the U.S. markets versus the foreign markets. Look at the emerging markets. To suggest that they move together isn't necessarily accurate, and I'll take it a step further. This is why you not merely need to have 
a large cap fund and a small cap fund. It's why you need to have a bunch of stock funds and a bunch of bond funds and a bunch of real estate funds and a bunch of commodities funds. This is why we have 18 asset classes in our portfolio, not merely two. I'm not trying to guess which horse in the race is going to win. It's, it's not a matchup. It's not a boxing match or a tennis match where it's two competitors. One will beat the other. We're talking about literally a horse race with two dozen horses in the race. And instead of trying to guess which horse is going to win the race, we own every horse. In fact, we own the racetrack besides. And we allow the rebalancing to adjust once the race has been won. I hope that makes some sense. If it doesn't, I strongly encourage you to read my book, The Lies About Money. And for a shorter, easier, quicker version of it, Rescue Your Money, which is a much distilled version, abridged version of Lies About Money, to help you understand this whole notion of portfolio construction, diversification, and most importantly, rebalancing. Call us. Talk to one of my advisors about it at length. Bring in your portfolio. Let us look at it and examine how you're handling it. We can show you how to improve on it. Call us at 888-PLAN-REC now or anytime during the week. Book an appointment with my colleagues. We'll show you how to do it. We'll even help you do it if you want us to. 888-PLAN-REC. RickEdelman.com. More with the founder of one of the nation's largest independent investment advisory firms. Coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. We're taking your phone calls, 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Uh, let's uh, talk with Dave. He's been waiting a long time. He's in New York. Welcome to the program, Dave. You're on the air. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Rick. How are uh, you, sir? My, my wife and I are both in our mid-60s and both still working. Uh, uh, we have 401Ks, 457 plan, and IRAs. The problem is we, we've accumulated uh, approximately a million eight hundred thousand in these tax deferred accounts. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to protect it from Medicaid, or do we have to start withdrawing it uh, and put it in a trust? So you're worried when, about when we retire? We're not retired yet. Understood. You're worried about uh, long-term care expenses causing you yes. to erode the assets. Okay. So the solution. I'll give you two solutions. One, don't incur the need of long-term care. Okay, that's a pretty stupid answer, isn't it? Um, if you do incur the need of long-term care, then you should get a long-term care insurance policy and make sure it is a partnership policy. New York has uh, one of the better programs among the states that give you the ability to protect some of your assets from Medicaid seizure by engaging in a partnership qualified approved uh, long-term care policy. 
we have offices in New York, and, and I've got uh, advisors who are expert at this stuff. Uh, it is all state-specific. Um, and what it basically means is that you can use the insurance policy to pay for your long-term care if you end up having to use your own assets you can pr- you can save part of your assets uh, relative to the amount of money you're spending on your care without the government demanding uh, seizure of it so that is the most effective solution we find that long-term care insurance for a lot of people and you're a perfect example of this day because you've got you and your wife have accumulated a lot of money you've got two million dollars in assets you know pushing that just in your eyes and, 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 and deferred assets yes plus yeah. regular cash, cash yeah. outside the IRA. exactly so you're, you're a poster child for this where most people consider long-term care insurance important for people who can't afford to pay for long-term care but in your case long-term care insurance becomes an estate planning tool it becomes a way for you and your wife to preserve your wealth instead of having to be forced to spend it on long-term care. And the reason I made that little silly joke about don't need it in the future is because it is silly because, A, you're not in control of your health in the future. And more importantly, about 70% of everyone over the age of 65 is going to need long-term care in the future. So if it isn't going to be you, it's going to be your spouse. So it is highly likely you will incur the cost of long-term care. The average cost uh, these days is about 80 grand a year. It's more in New York uh, as it yeah. is in most metropolitan areas. In New York, it's over 120 grand a year for long-term care, uh, for nursing home okay. services, etc. So it's a leading cause of poverty among retirees uh, for the poor. And then for the rich, people like you, it's a great erosion of principle. So I would strongly encourage you to obtain a long-term care insurance policy uh, to protect your assets and to preserve them for your children and grandchildren. And you're welcome to call our office. We can talk with you about a lot more about how to buy that policy and how to get one that is necessary for your situation. 888-PLAN-RICK, rickedelman.com. Let's head off to Montgomery Village in Maryland. Tom's on the phone. How are you, Tom? Welcome to the show. I have no taxable income, but I want to take some money out of a IRA and not um, pay taxes. Can you tell me how much I'm allowed to take before I have to start paying taxes on that money? It's a very good question, and the answer is very simple, but unfortunately I can't answer it for you specifically or precisely here because I need to take a look at your 1040. Because that is what is going to determine the answer to your question. Here's what it comes down to. When you take money out of an IRA, and I'm not talking about the Roth. I'm talking about the traditional deductible IRA, also the non-deductible. When you take money out of an IRA, you have to pay taxes on that. So if you withdraw a dollar, that dollar is taxable income. But the question you're asking is, well, what's the tax rate on that dollar? It's the same tax rate as you will pay on all of the rest of your income. So if you're in the 25% tax bracket and you withdraw a dollar from your IRA, you're going to pay 25% on the IRA. It's that simple. Well, okay, maybe it's not that simple because of this fact. If you take a whole lot of money out of your IRA, you might increase the total income you have, which could push you into a higher bracket. 
In other words, let's say that you're in the 25% tax bracket, but you take 100 grand out of your IRA, doing so pushes you into the 33% bracket, which means you'll not only pay a higher tax on the IRA, it could force you to pay higher taxes on the rest of your income too. And that is why, Tom, I can't answer your question definitively because I need to look at your tax return. You said that you don't pay income taxes right now, that your income is so low, you're in the zero tax bracket. Well, if you take a withdrawal from the IRA, theoretically, that should be tax-free as well. Because if you aren't paying any taxes now, if you're in the zero bracket, taking money from the IRA will be subject to the zero bracket. But if the IRA withdrawal you take is so big, it could push you into the 8% or 10% or 15% brackets. So we need to look at your 1040 to take a look at your tax situation to determine how much of the money from your IRA can you take without creating a tax problem. And that can only be done by reviewing your 1040. I'm not a tax expert. I'm not a tax pre uh, preparer. We would frankly recommend that you go talk to a tax advisor. Um, do you do your own taxes, Tom, or do you have someone do them for you? I have someone do them for per me. Perfect. Then all you need to do is ask the very question you asked me to your tax preparer, and they will be able to tell you definitively how much money you can withdraw from your IRA without paying any taxes at all or paying minimal amount of taxes. I mean, maybe you're in the zero bracket at the moment, and maybe you might end up in the 10% bracket, which you might say is no big deal. So talk to your tax preparer to find out for sure. But the bottom line is this. If you take money from an IRA, it is taxable at your tax bracket. Uh, let's... Um Head to Maryland. Steve is on the phone. How are you, Steve? Welcome to the show. Hi. If you inherit an annuity, which has, let's say, a 10-year period certain, but you're, you know, let's say, you're like in this case, your mother passes away after five years, so there's five more years on it, theoretically? Yes. Does the person inheriting it get the remaining five years? Correct. We're just kind of thinking down the road. Gotcha. All right, so let me explain to you let me explain to you how it works. Mom buys an annuity with a 10-year period certain, meaning that she is going to receive income for as long as she uh lives a minimum of 10 years. In other words, let's say that she dies after 3 years. She's going to receive the income for her lifetime of 3 years, but the income will continue for 7 more years. At the end of the 10th year, the money stops. Even if she's still alive, the money stops after 10 years. So if she dies after three, you, the heir, will continue to get those monthly checks that she was getting. And then at the end of that hey, period... Taxes on it? Yes, yes. The income... Well, uh, yes, the income is taxable, but keep in mind that the check you receive is not 100% income. It is partly a return of principal. So even though you get a check for $100, doesn't mean you owe taxes on the full 100 so whether the annuity was bought with qualified or non-qualified money, that is irrelevant to the money the beneficiaries would get? It is It is irrelevant, but it is not for taxes. It's very relevant for taxes. So if she bought the annuity in an IRA, then 100% of the income you get is taxable. If she bought the annuity outside of an IRA, then only some of the income is taxable. Uh, so I think it was bought within an IRA, so then all of it's taxed. Correct. Right? Yes, that would be correct. Stay with us from the Rick Edelman Show. It's the truth about money. Triple H, Plan Rick. RickEdelman.com.
more with the author of the 2008 Personal Finance Book of the Year, The Lies About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Well, I'm really excited to tell you that my seminar on retirement plans, March 11th, it's coming to Columbus. Uh, the following week, it's going to be in... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. In March in Red Bank and Manhattan, in Boca Raton, Livonia, Michigan, and Falls Church, Virginia. Also coming to Boston, Salt Lake City, Phoenix, Philadelphia, Hartford. It's We're doing this seminar all over the country because I need to share with you this information on how you can get the most out of your 401k at work and your thrift savings plan if you're in the government, your 403b if you work for a nonprofit. Whatever the retirement plan is you've got. This seminar is focused on helping you figure out the best way to contribute, the best way to choose investments in the plan, and how to generate income from the plan when you're ready for it in retirement, dealing with RMDs, uh, beneficiary designations, target date funds, Roth accounts. It covers an awful lot. It's $15 a person, 25 a couple. Register online at rickedelman.com, but here's the best part. Here's the best part. You can get two free tickets. The seminar is $25 a couple, but my brand new book is coming out on the very same subject, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. It's coming out on April 8th. If you go to Amazon.com right now or BarnesandNoble.com or any of your favorite booksellers, if you pre-order the book right now, at Amazon, for example, the book is selling for $12.34. Barnes & Noble, $12.46. So check this out. For about twelve fifty, you buy the book. And if you buy the book for twelve fifty, and email me the receipt, I'll give you two free tickets to the seminar. So you, instead of paying $25 for the seminar, pay $12 for the book. And you get the seminar for free. I'll also give you a one-year free subscription to my monthly 16-page award-winning newsletter, Inside Personal Finance. So order the book online, send me the receipt, you get the free seminar and the free newsletter, and you get all three for just $12.50 roughly. People are already ordering the book. We've got thousands of people already attending the seminar. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Take advantage of all that information. It's going to be really, really valuable for you. Waiting the longest on the phone. Elf in New York City. James is on the phone. How are you, James? Welcome to the show. My question is regarding lump sum 
uh, investing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know your philosophy, uh, having read your book, but I wanted to ask about lump sum investing in one sector uh, and what your thinking is about that. Well, if you're only if you're not going to diversify, uh, just to bring people exactly. up to speed, yeah, if you're, it just brings people I, I know up. To, that in your book, you've said that if you're going to diversify, you advocate lump sum investing over dollar dollar cost averaging. But suppose at this point, I wanted to lump sum invest in the stock market. I mean, obviously in a basket of stocks. Do you right. still advocate lump sum investing in that scenario, or would you advise dollar cost averaging? If you have a high risk tolerance. Lump sum investing is fine. But if you do want to hedge a bit, if you want to protect yourself somewhat, then go ahead and lump sum. Here's the, here's the point. Do you believe that one year from now, that by we look back on the year 2014 in a year, do you believe the stock market will be higher or lower than where it is today? Higher. Then you should lump sum invest right now because you just made the statement the price will be higher in a year than today. So invest today. You'll make money. But that doesn't necessarily mean you'll make as much money as might possibly be made, because although you believe the market will be higher in December than it is today, maybe you believe it'll be lower in February. In other words, along the way, it might dip. Picture a roller coaster where it dips a little bit before it goes back up. So if that if you're worried about that, that's what dollar cost averaging is for, so that you invest a little bit in January and February and March and April and May and June and July, so that over the course of 2014, you'll get the average price. And this way, you'll do well, maybe not as well, but definitely not as bad either. So, like I said, if you have a high risk tolerance and a confidence in the long run, Invest it all right now. It doesn't matter if the market dips in February if you are focusing on December. Makes sense? Point. Thanks, Rick. It's my pleasure, James. I appreciate the call. It's really interesting how we often find that people consider themselves to be long-term investors. Do you? If I were to ask you the question, do you believe that you are a market timer or are a long-term investor? Which is it you would define yourself as? Someone who goes in and out of the market with whatever news is occurring on a daily basis? Or are you in it for the long term? I suspect your answer is that you're investing for the long term. You have long-term goals, college for kids, retirement for yourself. You have a long-term investment perspective. And if that's true, if you have a long-term perspective, why focus on short-term market machinations? Who cares? Who cares what happens to the Dow in February if you're planning on using the money for your retirement in 10 years? In fact, who cares what happens in 2014? It doesn't matter if the market's going to be higher or not a year from now if your goal is 10 years from now. So it's interesting how I often find people say they are long-term investors, but they behave with a short-term mentality. It's inconsistent. So you either need to invest according to your strategy or give it up because it isn't going to work. If you're a long-term investor, invest now for the long term and then don't watch. <laughs> that's, my, that's always my classic advice. Invest and then don't look at the value.
which is another question that I often ask in our seminars. How often do you look at the value of your account? In the old days, people used to get a monthly statement, and they would look every month when they got their statement. These days, people are looking all online on a daily basis. Some people are looking at it all day long. Why? What are you going to do with the information? If the market's up, you're going to feel excited, and it's going to encourage you to buy more at a high price. If the market's down, you're going to feel upset and disappointed, maybe even scared. It'll entice you to sell at the low price. Either way, you're going to be motivated emotionally to buy high or sell low, neither of which is conducive to your achieving your long-term goals. So it's real simple. Invest today, and then don't look. End of story. Easier said than done, isn't it? I know for a lot of folks that's not something that many people are really able to do. Norma's on the phone from Virginia. Hi, Norma. How are you? Uh, just fine, thank you. How can I help? In '09, I took out a reverse mortgage. And I was told at that time that um, as I age up, I can refinance. But the strange thing is, when you age up, you have less money, and therefore you cannot qualify to refinance. Why do you want to refinance? In order to generate extra income? I don't understand. Well, I took out as a lump sum. And you sp and uh, you took a single lump sum, and have you spent all that money? I had to pay off some some debts I had, and and so I'm totally debt free at the moment. Okay, but but I don't have enough to live on. Gotcha. What's the value of your house? Well, it's a ten acre lot with two houses on it, so it's valued at about five hundred and fifty thousand. And how much did you take out from the reverse mortgage? Uh I guess it was two hundred thousand. It was sixty five percent I was permitted. Okay. So if the house and now is... that I'm ten years older, why can't I so... refinance? And still use what I have in the property. It is partly because they have tightened up the rules on reverse mortgages in the last year um, because of the economic crisis of 2008. Uh, and this, what you're describing is one of the wonderful examples for me, not so wonderful for you, of why we are not a big fan of reverse mortgages. Reverse mortgages. Well, I, would re I would tell everyone not to do it. <laughs> and I am glad you're echoing the editorial that I provide. But I was in a situation I'd have to go to foreclosure. No, what you need to do is sell the house. It's not a question of foreclosure, Norma. All you need to do is sell the house. Because if it's worth 550000 and you borrowed 220000 you sell the house, you pay off the debt, and you walk away with $300,000. And you then take the $300,000 and you find a new place to live. Not suggesting you even have to buy a new place to live. You could simply rent a new place to live. So your situation isn't dire from a financial perspective. It might seem extreme from a lifestyle perspective because now here you are faced in your retirement with having to sell the very property you've been trying to maintain. But at the end of the day, you can't afford it, as you've said. You don't have enough money to live on, and that's the key issue. Well, you can produce $300,000 really quick, really easily. It's not a question of foreclosure. It's not a question of walking away. You absolutely don't want to foreclose, or then you'd lose the three hundred grand. Sell the house, Norma. It's a hard thing to say. It's a harder thing to hear, but that's the step you need to take. Sell the property now. Take the $300,000 that's left and rebuild your life. We're happy to help. Call us at AAA Plan Rick to walk you through it and guide you through the whole process. You don't have to go it alone. AAA Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. Stay with us.
Need a second opinion on your investments? Get a free portfolio review at rickedelman.com. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK is the number to dial us up right here right now. 888-752-6742. Investments, taxes, mortgages, insurance, college planning, retirement planning, buying houses, leasing cars, getting out of debt, whatever you want to talk about, I'll talk about it with you. Off to Durham, North Carolina. Emily's on the phone. Hi, Emily. How are you? Hi, Rick. I'm well. Thank you for taking my call. How can I help? Well, um, my husband and I recently found out that we're going to receive a small inheritance, um, it's actually a portion of my in-laws' inheritance they received, so they're passing a bit of it on to us. So I think it'll be under the gift tax limit, so $14,000. Okay. And we're just wondering if you give us some ideas about what to do with it, given kind of what's going on in our lives right now. Well, what is going on in your lives right now? Well, uh, we're both 28. We're finishing up our PhDs. Um, so in the next year, we're going to go through a move and two job transitions. So we're wondering if we should maybe keep the inheritance in cash for the moment. I'm afraid um, to ask. To I'm afraid to ask. You're both finishing your PhDs. Can I ask yes. what the student loan debt is for the two of you? Oh, um, actually, we don't have any from our graduate degrees um, because we're being paid as research assistants and our uh, taken care of. That's awesome. <laughs> that's great. Good for you. Um, yeah. Um, so, I have a little bit of, of debt from my undergrad degree, but we already have the amount of money saved to pay that off. It's just that it's subsidized and deferred right now. So. Gotcha. We're going to pay it off right before uh, Okay, so what are your total uh, expenses on a monthly basis? Oh, um, I might have to work that out backwards for you, but we make about um, $4,000 a month net. Okay. We save 17% for the long term. We give some of it, so we live on quite a bit less than what we make. Okay, and do you have any money in savings at this point? Yes, we have been saving into Roth IRAs for a number of years. So I'm not, not talking about I'm not talking about IRA accounts or retirement accounts or whatever. I'm talking yeah, about just bank. Cash. Yeah, just cash. How much? Yeah, we have about sixteen thousand dollars in savings accounts, not including the student loan money. Okay. Well, the two of you are in excellent financial condition. Uh, if you, it sounds like you have many months worth of spending in cash already. If you've got sixteen grand in the bank and you're spending only two or three thousand a month, you're in excellent condition there. Um, mm-hmm. So that's very good. You don't have a significant amount of debt and sufficient assets to pay that off, as you've said. Um, so you are in a position to take this inheritance and in, add it to your long-term investments. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't have any short-term major expenses coming up, like the purchase of a car or a down payment of a house or things like that. Yeah. And that's where kind of the uncertainty comes in. We're, we would like to buy a house, but that is about between two and eight years down the line. Um, We would love to put this money aside for that eventual down payment, but because of the uncertainty in that timeline, how to invest in the meantime. Yeah, if you had said clearly two years, I would tell you to leave the money in cash. If you had said clearly eight years, I would say put the money into a diversified portfolio. But since you said somewhere between two and eight, Mm -hmm. we don't know. And therefore, I would say since you don't know, split the baby. Put half of it in the bank and put half of it into a diversified portfolio. And as the picture becomes more clear, you can shift appropriately. Okay. Because eventually you will definitely be within a two-year horizon of buying the house. It might not happen for six years. 
<laughs> we'll probably know um, by the end of the year, you know, which end of that spectrum we'll be on because we're either, we'll either move to our target city or we'll be moving somewhere else. So you're telling me too. that it is possible in a year that you might buy a house two years after that? Um, I mean, we're going to be moving to a high cost of living city and I don't know what our salaries will be. So it, I don't know how long it will take to save up, up that down payment. But within a year, we would be starting to save for that down payment. But in a year, is it possible that buying the house is two years away? Yes. Yes, that's possible. Then I'm going to shift my counsel and tell you to put 100% of this inheritance into the bank. Because that means you might actually be buying the house three years from now. And if you are going to be using that cash in a three-year period or less, it should not be invested in the stock market because, as we all know from 2008, anything can happen over a three-year period. So unless you are highly confident you are going to leave the money untouched for five years or more, I would not want you to put the money at risk. Okay. So right. keep the money in the bank until we know yeah. you know, where we're moving, what the timeline is right. on the down payment. Right. Now, let me uh, mention one other thing. You mentioned as an aside that the reason you're getting this $14,000 inheritance is that the inheritance actually went to your in-laws, and they have decided to gift part of that to your husband. That's our understanding, yeah. Okay. So here's a fun conversation for you, the daughter-in-law, to have with your mother and father-in-law. There's no reason for them to have limited their gift to merely $14,000 because of the gift tax limitation. Instead, what they need to recognize is that they can instead gift you and your husband a substantially higher amount. Why? Because the rule is $14,000 per person per year. In other words, it isn't 14000 It's 14000 that your father-in-law gives to his son and another 14000 that your mother-in-law gives to her son. That's $28,000. And then the two of them can do the same thing for you, which is an additional 28000 which is a grand total. What's 28 plus 28? You're a PhD candidate. <laughs> Thank you. $56,000 that they can actually give you. So say to them, hey, folks, fork it over. We want a whole lot more than fourteen grand. This way we can buy our house a whole lot faster. And, of course, you might want to say that with a big smile on your face and a tongue-in-cheek attitude. Yes, I actually was aware of that, and I, I did give them that information already. Um, <laughs> and what did they say? <laughs> I think they just said that they're going to stick with the 14000 for now. <laughs> Boy, I bet you're going to be a favored daughter. You better give them a granddaughter pretty quick to get back in their good favor. Um, <laughs> so uh, so good for you. I, uh, I'm sorry to hear of the loss in the family. Um, it looks like everybody's handling everything correctly. I'm suggesting you err on the side of safety and preserving the inheritance you're getting so that it is available, ready for your use to buy that house when you and your husband are so inclined. Okay, thank right. you very much. You're very welcome, Emily. I um, I get more people in trouble with their parents and in-laws than I think any other financial advisor. Let's continue with our telephone call, shall we? In Fairfax, Virginia, Jim's on the phone. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rick. How are you? Terrific, thanks. How can I help? Uh, I've, I've got uh, a question regarding the initial distribution on my IRA. I turned 70 this year, and I don't... I don't need the money. So based on a conversation I had heard you have with an earlier caller, it sounds to me like I should probably wait uh, later this year. Am I better off to wait as long as I can to take that money? Uh, that's an interesting question, and it is a hotly debated topic in financial planning circles, a uh, very common conversation at our conferences and in our hallways at, at our firm at Edelman Financial Services, because here's the, here's the notion. 
since you are free to take the money at your leisure, meaning you're not compelled because you don't need the cash now, so you can choose to take it now or you can take it a year from now, um, either way, you'll be conforming with the IRS rules. I'm going to ignore the details of the RMD requirement, which is April 1st of the year following the year you turn 70 and a half. So I'm going to skip all that detail for now. And just mention, if you leave the money alone, it'll grow tax deferred for an extra year. And only after that will you have to pay taxes. But when you do, it'll be tax at ordinary income rates. If you take the money now... The, fur the future growth of the rest of this year will be at capital gains rates, which might be half the tax rate that you would otherwise incur. So should you do it now, pay the tax now, and let the rest grow at a capital gain rate? Or should you defer the whole thing for an extra years of tax-deferred growth, eventually at, at uh, ordinary income rates? You see the debate? You need to meet with a financial advisor who can help you figure it out. We can do that for you. Just call us during the week at 888-PLAN-RIC. When we come back... More of your telephone calls at Triple Eight Plan Rick, uh, and I want to invite you uh, again to check out my website at rickedelman.com. If you want, click that green button. I want to talk to an advisor, or click that other green button for Edelman Online. You can access our investment management services without any human intervention, and get the benefit and value of our 25 years of advice to our clients. Triple Eight Plan Rick. Rick Edelman. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Providing personal finance advice for 25 years. This is the Rick Edelman Show. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Thanks for hanging around this half hour. This is our special best of program, bringing you some of the top phone calls, questions to me here on the program over the past several months. I think you're really going to enjoy this recapping. You're going to learn an awful lot, enjoy it an awful lot. And if you have questions, dial us up at 888-PLAN-RICK. My colleagues at Edelman Financial Services this week will get you the answers that you need to all your personal finance questions. And I'll be with you again right here next week for the next live show. We've got uh, Gigi on the phone. Uh, he dialed up 888-PLAN-RICK. You can do the same, 888-752-6742. How are you? 
So this CD was uh, bought by your father with his own money entirely? Yeah, I didn't have any money in it. He just had my name on the CD. As a co-owner of the CD with him? No, he just had my name on it. Your name solely? It was His name was not on it at all? Uh, excuse me? Was his name on the CD at all? Yeah, his name was on it, and he just put my name on it, too. Okay, so was it him and you as co-owners, or was it him as the owner with you as the heir? Uh, it was me and him as owners. Okay. Uh, here's what that means. Now, this is I know why your father did this, um, but it is not advisable. It is very, very common that people do this. And the main reason they do it is because they want to make life easy for their children. That's the goal. They want to help their children. They're trying to be helpful because mom and dad know that when they die, their assets will be distributed to their heirs, but only after going through probate court. When you have assets and you die, the probate court validates your will, gives creditors time to get their money if you owe them, owe them any money, credit cards or car loans or mortgage loans or what have you. And after the creditors are settled, the money then gets distributed to heirs. This process of probate can take a year. It can cost many, many thousands of dollars. And it's all public record, so your neighbors and relatives, everybody knows everything going on in your situation. So mom and dad want to avoid that for themselves and their children. And what they often do is they solve the problem by jointly titling their assets with their children. If dad has a CD... And he wants his son to get the CD, in this case you, Gigi, if your dad owned a CD and wanted you to inherit it, if he had the CD in his name only, you would get the CD only after you went through the probate process. But dad can skip that problem by putting your name on the CD. That's what your dad did. Boy, that seems to be a good idea, but here's the problem. Dad changed you from an heir to an owner. And by doing that, he created the risk of an adverse tax consequence. Now, fortunately, it's a bank CD and not a stock or a mutual fund or a house. Because if it had been one of those kinds of assets, what we call a capital asset, then there could have been a very big tax problem created by having Dad jointly title you on his car, his house, his investments. But he did this with a bank CD, so the problem is probably not going to be terribly severe. It probably isn't going to be an issue at all. You need to verify this with a tax advisor and an estate attorney to be sure, but likely you'll be able to demonstrate that this CD belonged to your father. He was the sole investor in it. He added your name as a convenience and there should probably not be an adverse issue, but you do need to verify what I just said with a tax and legal advisor. There will be taxes due on the interest earned by the CD, and the taxes are either going to be paid by your father, if he paid them while he was alive, by his estate, if the CD interest was received following his death, or by you, 
as the heir slash owner of the CD. Again, by talking with a tax advisor or a state attorney, you'll be able to find out for sure which it is. But I want to emphasize enough for everybody else who's listening to your case study, Gigi, the dangers of titling assets between the generations. As I said, it's very common, but it's also very dangerous because you can create tax problems that otherwise wouldn't have existed. Let's say that your dad had done this with his house or with stocks or bonds or mutual funds. We know the rule here, right? If you own an asset and you sell it, you pay taxes on the profit. But if you die owning that asset, the profit passes to children tax-free. But as soon as you put the children's name on the asset, that tax-free step-up at death goes away. In other words, you buy a house for 200 grand. You die, and it's worth 300 grand. There's a $100,000 profit. If you had to if you sold that house, you'd pay taxes on the hundred grand. But if you die, the hundred grand passes to children tax free. But not if the children's name is on the house as a co-owner. Now the children have been converted from an heir to an owner. They'll owe taxes on that hundred grand because they're treated as an owner by the IRS. So adding children's names to an asset creates a tax problem that otherwise did not exist. Very big mistake. And I'll take it a step further. Another common problem that exists when you do this. Let's say dad adds his son's name to the deed of his house or to his brokerage account. Well, that's great. The son is now the sole heir of that asset. But what if there were three other children? Dad has just effectively disinherited them. It's accidental. Dad didn't intend to disinherit the kids. His thinking was... Well, my son is the one who's physically nearest to me. He's helping me out. He's taking care of my money. And he's the eldest child, so I'll just leave this to him, and he'll redistribute to his brothers and sisters their shares. Oh, really? You really think that's what's going to happen? Oh, I know what you're saying. My children love each other. Well, sure they do, but how about the in-laws? Maybe your son married a woman who isn't in love with the other children. Maybe there's a marriage problem. Maybe there's a job problem. Maybe there's a health problem. Maybe there's a drug or alcohol problem. I know, oh, by the way, the IRS gets involved, too, because even if your son wants to distribute the fair share to the brothers and sisters, the IRS puts limitations on the ability to do that. It's called a gift tax. Titling assets between generations is very, very dangerous, and Gigi has just provided you a wonderful case study of why this can be problematic. So, Gigi, I don't think you have to worry about an estate tax. There may be a tax on the interest earned in the CD. Whether you pay it or your father pays it or your father's estate pays it, you need to talk to a tax advisor or legal advisor to be sure. Really important tax information for you. It is tax season again. Uh, first of all, we've got a lot of information to help you out uh, at my website. Just go to rickedelman.com and in our uh, personal finance articles section. I've got a lot of articles uh, that you'll find of value uh, in understanding what's going on in the world of taxes. But more importantly than that, you probably own a mutual fund. If you own a mutual fund in a taxable account, don't worry about IRAs, don't worry about retirement accounts. If you own an IRA in a taxable account where they're going to issue you a 1099, wait. Do not file your taxes early. 
because the mutual fund industry in many of the fund companies tell us that they were unable to complete the accounting for 2013. They're not going to be able to finish it by the time the 1099s are due, which means they're going to issue a corrected, revised 1099, maybe even two of them, in February and March. So our advice to you is do not file your taxes quickly. Go ahead and prepare the return. Go ahead and give all of your tax data to your preparer. Just don't file the return until March. Wait to get the revised 1099s. This has been a recurring problem for the past five or six years. It's not getting any better, and there's not a whole lot we can do about it. So rather than file the return now, only forcing you to file an amended return later when you get the revised 1099, just sit and wait. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two, if you are dealing with an advisor that charges you a fee as opposed to an advisor who charges commissions, like in our firm, uh, we have an asset management fee that uh, we use. Our clients don't pay commissions. Um, there is no conflict of interest with our clients because we're not paid to buy and sell and so on. The, the, our clients are paying a flat fee instead. If your fee is tax deductible, you will want to report your fee on your tax return. Uh, in the case of TD Ameritrade, for example, the fee is right there on page one of your December statement. It's really easy to see. And you'll want to give that information to your tax preparer. So uh, you're going to want to remember to think about the fee to ex explore whether or not it is tax deductible. I'm Rick Edelman. More of your questions when we come back. Triple Eight Plan Rick. Visit us at rickedelman.com. Click that green button. I want to talk to an advisor. Stay tuned for more. For more information on what you need to do now, go to rickedelman.com. That's rickedelman.com. Welcome back. Rick Edelman here on The Truth About Money. You're invited to dial me up right here, right now, 888-PLAN-RICK. Steve's in Virginia. How are you, Steve? Yeah, I enjoy your show. It's really great, uh, great show. Thank I you. have a question. I have a, a couple of credit cards, Visa and MasterCard, which I'm having very difficult time uh, keeping up with the payments. And uh, as of a year ago, I defaulted and they sent it to the collection bureau. And they even threatened to uh, go on a lawsuit. Uh, my, I own my uh, my home jointly with my wife uh, by the entirety, and uh, my wife has nothing to do with the credit cards. They are in my name. So here's my question. If they do uh, get a judgment against me, would they uh, attach a lien to our property, which is owned by, by myself and my wife by the, the entirety, and she is not on any of these credit cards? Would you please uh, see what... Uh, no. The, an the answer is no to your question. No, they cannot put a lien on your real estate. Uh, that's why the interest rate on credit cards is so high. The risk is high to them because there is no collateral. They can't seize your real estate or your other assets. They can't take your car or whatever else. That's why credit card interest rates are high. Your car loan isn't as much because if you don't pay for the car loan, they can take your car. The house mortgage is lower still because they can take your house. Not only is the house going to grow in value, unlike a car, they know where the house is. they got to find the car because you can move it. So, no, they cannot put a lien against your house unless they win in the judgment. And uh, if the judge 
wins for them, they can be a creditor, which means they um, could, if you were to die, become a creditor to your estate, and that could be an implication. Uh, so you should talk with a credit counseling organization. The National uh, Foundation for, for Credit Counseling is a good place to go, nfcc.org, uh, to get assistance, because if you've fallen behind in your ability to pay your bills, that's not good. And if you do have assets, as evidenced by the fact you do, the value of your home, stiffing the creditor is not ethical. You borrow the money in good faith, and in good faith, you should repay the money. If you're struggling to do that because of income loss or medical problems or what have you, talk with a credit counseling organization, but beware, there are a lot of frauds in that industry exploiting the problems people already have. Never pay up front for credit counseling services. Never believe anybody can make your debt go away. Nobody can instantly repair your credit record, etc. But a legitimate organization like the National Foundation for Credit Counseling can, in fact, be of assistance to you, and I encourage you to contact them. But no, do not worry. They will not be able to take your house from you. Get further financial legal advice on credit and debt management from a bankruptcy attorney or a debt and credit counselor. Um, that is not my expertise. Uh, it's time now for us to see where is technology taking us. Each week on my television show that airs on public television, I interview a member of the faculty from Singularity University. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in zero gravity? Will booking a trip around the moon become as easy as booking a flight to Europe? You've heard of space flight. Well, astronaut and scientist Dan Barry believes the reality of space living is just around the corner. And as he explains in this week's Future Finance, there may even be a way for Earthbound investors to profit from the final frontier. Dr. Dan Barry, is there a way for investors to take advantage of the opportunities that are either existing now or going to exist? Well, sure. Uh, well, to take space to begin with, there's a lot of uh, commercial space flight going on right now. People are already investing large amounts of money uh, on low Earth orbit and allowing, first of all, tourists to go to low Earth orbit, but eventually habitats and people to live there. We're going to sell a lot of one-way tickets to low Earth orbit. Think about, you know, my background. One-way tickets, meaning they're not going to come back, they're going to right. die. They're going to go and live the rest of their life there. Going is cheap. It's coming home that's expensive. We launch all kinds of satellites, and if you don't have to bring them back, the price goes way down. It's all about reentry that makes things expensive. So if we can build the hotels and the facilities and space for people to go live there, we'll have a lot of people going and not coming back. And we'll build a whole society in space. And I mean, my background is rehabilitation medicine. I take care of people with severe disabilities, tremendous mobility impairment. Think of someone who's a high uh, quadriplegic, say a, a C5 cervical quadriplegic, who has some ability to, to move muscles, but not a lot. That person goes to space and regains 100% of their mobility. Because there's no gravity. You can, you, with your pinky, you can fly across the room. It's like you have magic powers. It's like you're Superman. And so, Suddenly, you're freed from, from the mobility impairment on Earth. You don't have issues with pressure sores. You don't have issues with that sort of thing. You regain independence. Why would you ever come back? People with cardiovascular issues, the, you know, where you only have a fraction of your, of your cardiac output, hey, guess what? Your heart hardly works at all in space because there's no gravity to pump blood again. So suddenly, you're an athlete again. And we'll learn, you know, how to live in those. So of the opportunity for investors to take advantage of companies that are engaging in these kinds of business enterprises certainly exists and will continue to in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to have to see how these business plans work out. But there are serious investors that are already 
pursuing private space stations, uh, individual flights to orbit, suborbital flights. I mean, in 10 years, you'll buy a ticket to go to, to space just like you can you know, arrange to make an expedition to the, to the summit of Everest right now. It's fantastic. And that's why you're excited. Oh, yeah. Dr. Dan Barry, physician spacewalker, <laughs> thanks for your time. Sure. So that's a clip from my weekly television series that airs on public television stations around the country. Every week, we bring a segment like you just heard from the faculty of Singularity University, where I've been a guest lecturer and uh, am one of the uh, owners of the university, where we uh, are focused on technological innovation and what does it mean for us uh, as a society? How is life going to change, uh, both good and bad? And I think you'll find the segments... Uh, Really fascinating. So each week for the next six months, I'm going to bring to you uh, one of those segments here on the program. I'm Rick Edelman looking for your telephone calls, 888-PLAN-RICK. You too can join the party, 888-PLAN-RICK. Dial me up right here right now, and we'll take your phone calls. Stay with us right here on the Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK. Visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Stay with us for more. with the publisher of the newsletter Inside Personal Finance coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. We're back on The Rick Edelman Show. Thanks for joining us. 888-PLAN-RICK. You can dial me up right here right now. 888 888- 752-6742. A bunch of folks have done that. Two lines available, though. So we're going to Peter first. He's in Virginia. How are you, Peter? Fine. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. How um, can I help? I have an answer for you as to why uh, some of us don't use ETFs. Okay. I dog cost average. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply using mutual funds, and if I were to do that with ETFs, I have to incur a brokerage fee, and sometimes those fees would outweigh out all that the difference in the, in the, in the costs to 
that are less associated with ETFs than mutual funds, not to mention I'd have be required to, you know, have some sort of minimum transactions per month. That's a very valid observation, Peter, and I thank you for sharing it. Um, let's talk about how do you buy an ETF versus how do you buy a mutual fund to help people understand the point you just made, because it's a valid one. When you buy a mutual fund, you buy the shares directly from the fund company. Uh, you can do this directly from the fund company, or you can do this via an advisor who will set up an account for you uh, either with a fund company directly or with a brokerage account. It doesn't really matter which way. It's going to pretty much work the same way. Uh, and the mutual fund company isn't going to charge you a commission when you buy or sell its shares. The brokerage firm, if, you're, if they're going to set up a brokerage account for you to do the same thing, probably also will not establish commissions to buy or sell the shares of the mutual funds. That's because the brokers are earning commissions from the fund company themselves or because they're charging you a fee, a flat fee, uh, based on the size of the account. Uh, so there aren't going to be transaction costs, as you've described, Peter. So if you're adding money on a monthly basis, as Peter is, which is a great idea, by the way. Congratulations, Peter. I'm glad that you're doing it. That's very smart. If you're adding money on a monthly basis to your investments, um, if you had to pay that commission each time you bought an ETF or a mutual fund, the, that commission cost would severely erode the profits you'd eventually earn. So Peter is being smart by trying to avoid those commission expenses on his monthly deposits. Very good idea. However, Peter, let me tell you that because of that fact, because the brokerage industry recognizes the flaw that you have just uh, noticed, they have taken steps to fix it. And most of the large independent firms, such as TD Ameritrade and Schwab and Fidelity and probably some others, now allow you to buy a very large variety of exchange-traded funds commission-free. So you don't have to worry about that problem. Now, there may be, at some of these firms, other fees or limitations or issues you need to verify with it. I'm not saying blanketly it's an endorsement of them or the process. I'm simply saying if you haven't talked to those firms, such as TD Ameritrade, Schwab, or Fidelity, or others, to ask them, can I buy ETFs commission-free, and if so, what is the list of ETFs available, and are there any requirements, such as a minimum number of shares I have to buy, or a minimum dollar amount I have to invest, or a minimum period of time, or, or you know, whatever? Are there any other brokerage account fees you may assess, blah, blah, blah? Explore that, because if you can find such deals, and they do exist, Peter, that the, the, these firms are all making a big splash in this regard because of the reason you cited, I think you'll be able to have your cake and eat it, too. You'll get the advantages of the low-cost ETFs while also simultaneously getting the advantage of avoiding the commissions. I'll also hasten to add that some mutual fund companies, like Vanguard comes immediately to mind, is a very low-cost mutual fund provider, so low in cost that they are highly competitive with the ETF world. So again, if your sole motivation is expenses, you don't necessarily have to uh, leave uh, the fund company in order to shift to the ETF side, but you're right to be emphasizing expenses. And one final uh, element to this that I will add, if you're dealing with a fee-based advisor, see, there are, there are three basic ways you can go about the investment process. One is to do it on your own. 
The other way is to go with an advisor, and they come in two flavors, a commission advisor or a fee-based advisor. If you're doing it on your own, obviously, the only fee you have to worry about, Peter, is the fee you cited, which is the transaction costs. If you're going to use an advisor, there's an additional fee, which is the commission that the advisor will charge on transactions or the fee for the services of the advisor. In my firm's case, we're a fee-based advisor. Uh, we have a fee based on the assets under management. So our clients do not pay us any transaction expenses. They do not pay any commissions. And we set them up, in our case, with TD Ameritrade, which is one of the largest custodians in the industry. And because of the relationship we have with TD, our clients don't establish a brokerage account at TD's retail division, which is what you would do as a consumer if you tried to open an account there. Our clients use TD Institutional which is a division of TD Ameritrade for advisors like me. And because of the relationship that I have with TD Ameritrade, and frankly the size of our firm, we're now managing $12 billion in assets for 23,000 uh, people just like you around the country, TD Ameritrade allows our clients to open their accounts there free. So our clients don't pay TD Ameritrade anything. I pay TD Ameritrade. And I, where do I get the money to pay TD Ameritrade? Well, it comes out of the fee I charge my clients. So you have to look at it on a comprehensive all-in basis. If you're going to do it on your own, then you just want to focus on what are the fees I'm going to pay the custodian, the brokerage firm I'm dealing with, or the mutual fund company I'm dealing with. You want to do that on your own. Or if you're going to work with an advisor, you need to evaluate how much am I going to pay the advisor, either in the form of the commissions that he's going to charge me on transactions or the fee he's going to charge me for the assets under management, and the other financial planning services and advice. Um, so you want to look at this always on an all-in basis. This is the trap that I find many consumers getting into. Most investors use an advisor. According to all the industry's data, uh, data most investors work with an intermediary, a brokerage firm, a bank, an insurance company, an independent advisor like me. And therefore, you need to examine the fees you are paying, the co total costs you are incurring. If you ask your advisor or your broker or your insurance agent or your bank rep, if you ask the question, how much does that investment cost or how much will you charge me for that investment, you might get the wrong answer. You might get an incomplete answer. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go to an advisor and you say, and he says, I, I think you should buy a mutual fund or an ETF or an annuity or whatever. Here, I think you should, my recommendation to you is you buy X. And you say to him, well, what does that cost me? He'll tell you the cost. He'll tell you the, the, the sales charge and the load and the commission expense of that stock or bond or annuity or mutual fund or whatever. What he might not also tell you is his additional fee. We have seen experience of this. Clients have come to us who have an account elsewhere because we tell people all the time, come to us with a second opinion. Let us look at your portfolio. We can tell you what your total all-in costs are. You might not know. You might think you know, but you might not actually know. We'll tell you about the risks. We'll tell you about the performance. We'll be happy to do a second opinion review. We do this all the time. People call us frequently to have that done. We've been doing it for 25 years. We'll be happy to do it for you, too. And what we often discover is that a guy comes in to see us and he says, yeah, I'm only paying 1% a year. 
And we're like, well, you're paying your advisor 1%, but your advisor put you into investments that cost 3%. You're actually paying 4 and you don't know it. Or the opposite. Oh, my investment costs me 0.5. Well, yeah, but your advisor is charging you 3 on top of that. You're paying 3.5. So it's important that when you are looking at the expenses, you're looking at it on a total all-in basis. So that's the way to phrase the question to the advisor if you're using one. If you're dealing with a bank, a brokerage firm, a mutual fund company, if you're dealing with an independent advisor or insurance agent, you want to ask the question very carefully. What are the total expenses I will incur on an all-in basis? Your fees plus the investments fees. What does it cost to buy them? What does it cost to sell them? And what does it cost to own them on an ongoing annual basis? What fees will I definitely pay and what fees might I pay depending on when I sell and how I sell? Will there be account opening fees, account termination fees? Will there be surrender charges if I liquidate the investment within a certain number of years? You want to ask all of these questions so that you can make a truly informed decision. So Peter, your point is well taken. Just make sure you are in fact looking at it as broadly and holistically as possible. I believe, my friend. You may be able to get the ETFs you have been previously avoiding out of a worry of monthly fees when you can go to certain brokerage firms and avoid those fees. Have your cake and eat it too, my friend. 888-PLAN-RICK. RickEdelman.com. Stay with us for more. of the award-winning PBS TV series, The Truth About Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Let's take some more uh, telephone calls, shall we, at Triple Eight. Plan Rick, you can join the party as well, 888-752-6742. If you can't reach us during the show, call during the week. My colleagues and I at Edelman Financial, happy to return your call and get you the answers that you need to your personal finance questions. You can also reach us online. Go to rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Click that green button. I want to talk to an advisor. If you prefer and you just want to invest your assets using the Edelman Managed Asset Program, you can do that directly online as well at Edelman Online. Uh, you can invest in our uh, investment management program without any human intervention. So uh, your choice, by computer or by person, over the phone or in person. We'll handle it any which way you want. We have 34 offices around the country and uh, ready to help you as well. Let's uh, talk with Daniel. He's in West Virginia. Welcome to the show, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. How can I help? Well, I'm probably going to be the least knowledgeable financial person to call ever. But um, you know that would be I'm, really hard to uh, to do, Daniel. Um, <laughs> so give it a shot. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I've been married to my wife now about eight years. I'm 35; she's 33. Uh, part of my wedding present to her was I told her I would take care of her parents. So her parents were aging, and let's just say they weren't financially ready. So I built them a 1,200-square-foot basement, really nice, kitchen, you know, everything they need down there. Uh, tile floors, quarry and countertops, oak cabinetry, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So now they have a house on the other side of West Virginia. It's a small house. But they're going to, we actually ended up paying that off for them. Now, 
what right now we don't claim them on our taxes we don't do anything like that and we paid off their house so now it's time to actually start to do something with this to where it benefits I want it all in my wife's name I don't want any in my name but I want to make the best decision to you know just to do the smartest thing to take a, a little bit of leverage of the situation we're in and start to maybe get some money back instead of always putting out money you know, Daniel, you are so wrong, it's astonishing. For you to okay. suggest that you might be the least knowledgeable person, financially speaking, on the planet is so wrong. You have, you're not even in the, you're not even a finalist. You're not even in the contest, my friend. Um, you are so good at this. You're getting the applause of the day. I mean, uh, I just can't even begin to describe how good you are at this on so many levels. Number one, you have the financial wherewithal to build your in-laws a house. Number two, you have the financial wherewithal to recognize there are real estate titling issues associated with the house. You have the financial wherewithal to understand there are estate planning issues associated with the house. You recognize not just the financial wherewithal, but the social and compassionate wherewithal of taking care of not only of your wife, but of her parents. You get a second round of applause, my friend. So you're going to have to try a lot harder to find some contest you're going to win because it ain't this one. Uh, so now, having said all of that, um, you this is a separate single-family home that you bought, you built for your parents, yes? Or your in-laws? Uh, no, sir. It's the basement of my house. The so base... My house went from 3,500 3, to 5,000 square feet. Okay, so... Yes. Um, there is this makes it a lot simpler uh, in context. Uh, is this as a physical part of of the home? Is there a separate entrance to it? Uh, there is up the basement. Okay. Uh, walk upstairs. So, is it possible that this could be considered a duplex? I will have to look into that. Sir. So you can talk with a real estate agent about that, and perhaps a real estate attorney, not a state attorney, but real estate attorney to see because there may be uh, an opportunity or an issue, I'm not sure which it'll be, if the house can be considered that from a zoning perspective or an ownership perspective. But the bottom line is your home right now that you own, is it jointly owned with you and your wife? Yes, sir. And the fact that your parents are living in the basement is irrelevant to this because it's not a separate structure. I'm going to ignore the duplex opportunity question that exists. I'm going to assume that that is not a factor. And all you did was made, you made improvements to the basement, which increased the value of the home. But the home is still yours. The basement is part of your house, and it's therefore added to the value of your house. You and your wife own that house jointly. As you did before, it's simply worth more than it was before. And you are choosing to allow your in-laws to live with you, whether they're in the basement or in the second bedroom upstairs. doesn't make any difference as far as the IRS is concerned. So it's a rather simple situation. You said you want to protect your wife. You've already done that by making your home jointly owned between you and her. So you've done everything you need to do. You didn't know it would be that easy, did you? Yeah. You didn't know it would be that uh, easy, did you? No, I did not. <laughs> no, no, I did not. It would have been a lot more complicated if you had built a separate property for your in-laws. 
because that would be a separate distinct asset, which would require ownership, titling, estate planning implications. But since it's a basement of your own home and all you did was improve it by finishing it out, which a lot of people have unfinished basements, and eventually at some point they decide to go finish them. They turn it into a rec room or an in-law suite as you did or an au pair suite or what have you, or a man cave, Uh, and at some point they do that and it adds to the value of the house. That's essentially what you've done. The fact that it's your in-laws living there is irrelevant as far as anyone else is concerned. So there's nothing you need to do. You've already done what's necessary. The home is jointly owned between you and your wife. Okay. How do I treat the other home that is now ready for either to go in my name or her, my wife's name or to stay in their name. Why would you want and, to keep the other property? Well, right now it's doing nothing, but it's doing nothing. So there's... Right, that's my, that's my point. There's nobody living in it, right? Right. So... Do I rent it? No, I, no, 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 no. You said it's on the other side of the state, first of all. How many hours drive is that? It's about five hours. Oh, my goodness gracious. You're going to drive five hours each way to check on the property and to do repairs and maintenance and make sure the tenants are not trashing the place and that they are paying their rent. You're going to deal with the insurance and the taxes and all. Forget it. Let's put it this way. What we, if that house were sold today, what would you suppose you'd sell it for? Uh, before my carpenter hands get on it right now, as it sits, it's probably looking at around twenty two, twenty five thousand. If I can get my hands on it and maybe invest a little bit in it, I could probably get it up to about fifty five or so. Then that's what you should do. And let me ask you this question: Let's assume that it was worth fifty five thousand dollars, and you suddenly found yourself with a check of fifty five thousand. Would you take the fifty five thousand and go buy that house in order to rent it out? personally no then why do you want to keep it and rent it out you're engaging in something that is called anchoring the only reason you're considering renting the house is because you already own it if you didn't own it in the first place you would never contemplate renting it so get rid of that anchor sell the house my friend do the improvements you've said you're a carpenter you're a handyman you can get the house of that value doubled go ahead and do that then grab that 50 grand and pocket the money, work that out with your in-laws on how best to handle those assets. And to help you with that question, Daniel, call me back after you sell the house for $50,000. Call me back at that time, and I'll tell you what to do with the 50 grand and how to handle the legal titling of it between your in-laws, your wife, and yourself. You're a good soul, my friend. Thanks for joining me on the program this week. Remember, go to my website, rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Get the full seminar schedule for Red Bank, Boca Raton, Livonia Falls Church, Boston, Salt Lake, Phoenix, and Philly and Hartford. And you can find out how to register for free at the seminar by getting a copy of my brand new book, The Truth About Retirement Plans and IRAs. Buy the book, send me the receipt. We'll give you two free tickets to the seminar plus a one-year subscription to my monthly newsletter. All of that, check it out at my website, rickedelman.com. And I'll see you again next week. Get the truth about money every weekend on the Rick Edelman Show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.